1: Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call eight seven seven three five one zero three zero zero.
0: See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Welcome to Nature Biotechnology's First Rounders podcast. I'm the host, and my name is Brady Huggett. So, yeah, welcome aboard. I'm glad you're here. The guest today is John Marigonori. He is the CEO of Elnylon Nylon Pharmaceuticals, uh, an RNAi company. He's been the CEO of that company almost since its inception. Uh, John has also worked at Genetics. He spent a long time at Biogen. He worked at Millennium. And we talked about all that in this podcast. Uh, we also talked about his background. Of course, he grew up in the Midwest. He grew up the son of immigrants, Greek immigrants, in the Chicago area. Uh, he did his schooling out there. Uh, he mentioned something. He said that you know the thing that attracted him to science and attracts many people to science. I think is you know when you're doing research, you have the possibility of discovering something never before known to humankind. And that was attractive to him, you know, being at the forefront of uh, knowledge and discovery. And that thread seems to have pulled him through his career. Um, it's one of the reasons why he uh, left Millennium for El Nylum. He, uh, you know, this was a brand new area of science that was being applied to drug discovery. And he thought he was fascinated by RNAi, still is, and he wanted to take up the helms of that company. He said something else, too, I thought was interesting. He said that Biogen, his 10 years there, uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he called it the best school I could have ever gone to as far as learning um, business development. Now, that's one way to do it, spend 10 years at Biogen. However, there are other ways, such as the Biotechnology Enterprise and Entrepreneurship Program at Johns Hopkins University. Um, It's a two-year program. It is meant for people who have science background to pick up some business acumen. I think it's 10 courses uh, to complete the degree. I think you can start in spring, summer, and fall. And for more information on this program, go to enterprise.jhu.edu. Again, that's the Biotechnology Enterprise and Entrepreneurship Program at Johns Hopkins University. And they are the sponsor for this podcast. Thank you. Okay, so back to John. Um, anything else you need to know about this before you start? I do not think so. So here it is, your First Rounders podcast with John Maragonori.
2: Listen up.
1: Oh, okay. That will have some either investor conference or, you know, non-deal roadshow where you meet with investors all day. And it's usually in New York, usually. Yeah. But it can be, you know, in San Francisco. Yeah. It could be in
0: J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan yeah, of course,
1: type right. of thing. Sure. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. So I, I don't know. I think I know, but I don't know where you were born. Yeah, Chicago. Yeah. And that's where you grew up.
1: Grew up in Chicago, born in Chicago. Um, mother and father were Greek immigrants who came to Chicago and I was... Born in the '60s, born in '62, and raised there, and went to the University of Chicago for school.
0: You're the first line. They they came. Yeah, down.
1: they came on the boat. I mean, not on the boat per se. Off. Airplanes. Yeah, but basically came, you know, and built their lives in America as a couple. As a couple. You yeah.
0: Were, so they had no children yet.
1: No, they had no. Yeah, they had no children yet. They came as a couple. They, my brother. I have an older brother who was born two years before me, and then me, and then a sister that was born nine, nine years later.
0: And so when, when they, when they came, what, did they have a plan? What was their, well,
1: my father was a physician. So he, he, he had, he got his MD degree in, in, in Athens Uh and he, he, he actually was a U.S. citizen, uh, interestingly, because he, his, his, his father, his biological father, um, was a U.S. citizen, Greek American Uh who went to Greece to find a wife, married my grandmother and then the war started and he wanted to come back to the States but my grandmother didn't. And so they got divorced. And my, my father was born in Greece as a U.S. citizen and lived there during the war.
0: But um, you just said they got divorced. That, I mean, that was must have been almost unheard of at that time. Yeah,
1: it, it's really pretty rare at that time. But, um, you know, in at least in the Greek Orthodox Church, you know, you're allowed to have three divorces. It's a little bit less restricted than other religions in that regard. Uh-huh. And so they had, that. I mean, my Grandmother, my biological grandfather, who I never met, yeah, um, got divorced at that time, and my father, you know, lived and was brought up by another another father, stepfather.
0: Yeah, so he, so he had this concept of America.
1: He, he knew totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah and totally, free. and he, and and this concept of America was 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 not that he had been to America before, right? And he didn't personally remember his father, biological father, yeah. um, that well. I mean, he had met him before, but not not that well. But he had a vision for what this country was all about, that it was all about, you know, hope and opportunity and the ability to build a great life and and, and you know, build a family and that's why he came here.
0: And so with your mother, right? So then my they yeah. both thought, okay, well we you know, your your father wasn't like some um you know, I don't know, fruit peddler or something. He had a career going. He said, he, well, I want to take my career with me and go to America and do it
1: there. Yeah, you bet. And he came over, he did a residency uh, in, in Chicago and then began to practice as a pathologist. And why Chicago? Well, you know, it's, he he had a couple of cities or towns that he was thinking about. And then he had a family member that uh, he knew in Chicago. And that was enough of a connection helps, yeah. To, yeah. to come over. And then he also was able to find a residency in Chicago. So that, that cemented it.
0: Okay, so you're growing up there. It's as um, it's the only thing you've ever known. Right? Yeah, Chicago, cold winters, everything we know about Chicago. Windy City, Windy the whole thing. Yeah. Great, great people, great attitude. I think so. Midwest, really yeah. good pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do
1: yeah. you bet?
0: Um, and what did you think that you? Well, I mean, I don't. What were you like as a as a boy? What was your? your I was a
1: bit, your, bit of a nerd. I mean, I studious. I I yeah. i well. First of all, you know, I mean, when you grow up with immigrant parents, I mean, you're always in. You know, you're always told to study more. You're always told to do more work. You're always told that when you get the A. Why didn't you get the A plus, right? And so that was my upbringing in many ways. Um, but you know, I loved um, as a kid. I loved science. I loved. Um, you did yeah, always. You know, we we. I had a chemistry set. I had a biology kit. I had you know all these different um, reasons to get involved in in science. My father, as a as a pathologist, had a clinical lab, and over the summers when I was growing up, I would work in his, in his lab and basically do histology work or do you know biochemistry. Type work in his lab and, uh, for clinical samples. Yeah. And then I just loved being in the laboratory. It was a fun place to be and fun place to, to learn, uh, as well. So that stuck with me my whole life. Do you
0: think that, um, had that, if you had not had access to that or or known about that world, do you think you, you would have loved science anyway, just through schooling? Well, I
1: I, I think so. I mean, I, I, I eventually would have run into biology classes and chemistry classes. It's sort of hard to avoid those. And I'm sure that the same bug I had as a kid growing up and loving it would have ultimately found itself. But the fact that my father was a physician, um, and was a pathologist with a clinical lab definitely accelerated the path into science.
0: Yeah. And, And you said that, um you know, if you got an A, why wasn't an A plus? Did that actually work for you? Did you get A pluses all the
1: time? Uh, I tried. I tried. It didn't, Didn't. no, it didn't happen all the time. I, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who always had to study hard. I was never, you know, a lot of my friends had the luxury of being able to never study and get A pluses. Yeah. And I was one of these people that always had to work hard and I could get A's and sometimes A pluses, but A pluses all the time. No, no. that was not, that was not my skill.
0: So that it's, brings up an interesting question. So, you know, if your father was which does sound exhausting. I will say, you know, yeah. to bring home an A and have someone say, where's the A plus? Yeah. John, it's not good enough. Yeah. But, um, it, it worked. Well, I mean, it it, it, helped. it made you work or it gave you work ethic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I, to this day, I, um, will always thank my father for that work ethic. I mean, he, he actually just recently passed, oh, um, sorry. just a few, a few, a couple months ago. And, um, you know, I think, and, and unfortunately he died of with Alzheimer's and, and, and forgot a lot of 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 his life yeah um you know which is really sad but he never forgot us oh that's as great. as his kids Um, uh, which is which is great
0: so you when you went to see him he oh he knew who i was and
1: and which is really great yeah. um he didn't remember that he was a doctor he didn't remember that he was from greece he didn't remember that he was married unfortunately oh, wow. yeah um but he did he didn't remember his kids and um and and you know look i mean he he was the one that instilled a sense of work ethic in in me and my brother and my sister and, uh, I'm trying to do the same with my kids. Yeah.
0: Okay. We'll get to your kids, but so your brother sure. and sister, did they, are they also in the sciences or?
1: So my brother's a neurologist oh, okay. and in Chicago Yeah. and my sister, uh, is, um, is not employed currently, but she's, she's lives in the Boston area. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, all right. So you're growing up in Chicago into the sciences. Yeah. You think that you want to be a physician like your father's? Yeah. Right? yeah.
1: Originally the plan was be a physician, you know, and, and that's, that's where I was thinking I would go. But when I went to the University of Chicago and and began to work um, in in a laboratory, a research lab, um, you know, as an undergrad, as an undergrad um, I, I just loved it. I loved doing research. I was invigorated by it. I would spend extra time doing uh, lab work. Uh, I had a lot of fun, too. I mean, you know, I was a nerd in high school and enjoyed my college years yeah. and, and had a lot of fun. Um, but at the same time, I loved I loved being in a lab. And so I would take time you know, outside of my studies and outside of my social life in college to go into a lab and actually do basic research and um, got involved in doing uh, research in a protein chemistry lab and learned about protein chemistry and became a protein, uh, become passionate, became passionate about structure function mm-hmm. and enzymology and and had great mentors in, in college that ultimately helped uh, shape my scientific life.
0: Academic research, is always like the eternal question, right? What yeah. is this? How can we find it more? Where sometimes I think medicine is more like ingesting and, and memorizing things. Yeah. Do you think that the difference there is what, what caught your attention?
1: Well, what I, what I found fascinating about doing basic research is that you were interrogating questions that nobody else in the world was interrogating, right? So there was something about being a pioneer or something about, you know, being at the forefront of a new discovery. And I was, I was lucky enough, and maybe this was my good fortune in, in this, in this, in this context I was lucky enough to stumble on a discovery relatively early in my, my research efforts. And that discovery was very unexpected. And that led to the opportunity of actually pursuing it and trying to solve the mystery, if you will, around that basic scientific discovery. And that was fun. That was just enjoyable. It was, uh, You're it was talking about in your PhD? In my, in my undergrad work that ultimately became my oh, PhD okay. work as well. And it was a a very interesting new discovery in a group of enzymes that what had not it? been seen before. Well, it was a specific amino acid replacement in the active center of, a, of an enzyme class. And that discovery, you know, had some really interesting ramifications around why was it there? Why did it happen? Why was it conserved in this group of enzymes? And that was just fun to... Fun to um, investigate.
0: So when you when you found this, you bring it to the PI or something, the lab? And yeah,
1: and my 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 research advisor at the time, my, who ultimately was my PhD advisor, um, and I he was a great um, scientist, Bob uh-huh. Um, He's now retired, and um, you know we would just spend a lot of time just talking about what this meant and where it's going and doing work really around that. As and well. he
0: he sort of saw that this was brand new and was thinking, well, look, John, you should keep studying this area. You should keep asking questions around this area.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and he, and he basically inspired that, 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 um, that excitement around the scientific method, right. In the work yeah, yeah. in a way that I just thoroughly enjoyed.
0: Okay. So he said, well, okay, let's go to the PhD and you weren't going to go anywhere else. You already had no. somebody who was interested. Yeah. Okay.
1: I mean, I explored after I got my undergrad degree at Chicago, I explored, you know, should I go someplace else? And I you know, visited Dartmouth. I visited Hopkins um, I, I was excited about some opportunities at Hopkins at the time. Huh. Um, but I decided, look, I, I liked my research that I was doing. I yeah. had the opportunity of extending it into my PhD. I ultimately got my PhD only two years after I graduated from undergrad, really? which, yeah, which I, some, I, I, at the, at the time that I American? was, I was the young, at the time I was the youngest PhD in the biological sciences at the university of Chicago. And, and one of the reasons that happened is that my thesis advisor left, Uh, his academic post to go to industry. So he went to the Upjohn company at the time, which was just beginning to build a biotech center within, within their company. And, um, you know, what happened as a result of that is the other faculty members were sort of interested in the remaining amounts of his space and equipment. And, Uh, and and so, (laughs) so, so the, the, you know, it was really great because my dissertation committee, you know, we're all, really, really eager to have me defend and have me go off clear and clear you out. Exactly. Yeah. Basically yeah. clear this guy out and clear there was one other PhD candidate at the time, Bruce Aird. Um I don't know what happened to Bruce. But anyway, Bruce was also there. And the two of us basically had expedited PhD programs because of the fact that, you know, the other faculty members were eager to get that space.
0: Yeah. So you're you're twenty four then with your PhD? I was twenty four. And you and you're still thinking I'm gonna this is going to be my career. I'm gonna yeah.
1: be Oh I I, I I I at the time I was fully committed to being an academic researcher, but the opportunity existed for me to go from the, the University of Chicago to do a postdoc with Bob Heinrichson at Upjohn. And so I said, well, you know, I like Bob. He's yeah. a great guy. got more to learn. He yeah. helped me through yeah. this. And I'll just do a postdoc with him. So I went to Upjohn. And, um, you know, when I actually lived in Kalamazoo, Michigan, I'm one of the you know, few people that have done that.
0: <laughs> I, was, I was born there.
1: Oh, in is that right? Yeah, in the there you go. There, okay. Yes. So, so, you know, it was great. Actually, it was an amazing town to live in. It yeah. It really was. I mean,
0: we were young. I don't remember much of it, but yeah. my brother was also born there. My oh, family.
1: it was, it was actually a lot of fun. And so it was fun to live there only for a year, but, but that's probably like the limit of what I would you want handle, to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it was great. And, um, and so, but I, I, my eyes opened up to, to biotech at the, at the time. And so this is in, in 1985, mm-hmm. okay. Or 84, 85 and biotech really was just beginning. Yeah. Uh, you may, you may remember around that time there was, there was enormous excitement around interferons, yep, for example, yeah. and there's a time magazine write up. Uh, I remember to this day around interferon and how it would be the cure all for cancer and, and every viral infection in the world. Um, And, and just this enormous um, hunt for, you know, the secret of life, if you will, with interferons, you know, and, and uh, I just, just, you know, love that story and love the fact that there was this sort of broad based effort between these new companies that were out there, you know, Biogen and. And Genentech and and others that were hunting for this bi coastal and and even international. I mean, at the time, Biogen was largely based in Geneva at the time, and so it 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 really during this time at Upjohn, it really just opened my eyes to the the fact that while in academic research you can become unbelievably um, knowledgeable about a very specific subject, in industry research you had these much more broader. Opportunities. You 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 know you were focusing ultimately on finding medicines, right? In, yeah. in, 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 in industry, and as a result, you would think not only about a specific topic of interest and become like the world's expert in that one topic. You were thinking more broadly about a range of topics. And the other thing that that was true about um, industry research, <clears throat> which was different than than uh, academic, was you know in academic research you're really trained to be an individual investigator. Whereas in industry, you really work as a team, yeah. right? And and you know, I'm a pretty social person in general, and more or less extroverted as an individual. And I think I, I was really excited about being in an environment where you actually would interact and collaborate with other people, as opposed to sort of doing your own work and publishing yeah. your a paper and yeah. and you know, not really sharing a lot of information.
0: Yeah. So then this. So then you started to think about well, all right, maybe I want to work for one of these companies. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And and so. You know, stayed at the Upjohn company for a year uh-huh. to do a postdoc there and really sort of round out my, my PhD work with Bob and, and as a protein chemist. And then began to explore um, new opportunities outside of, outside of Upjohn, and uh, I looked at three. I looked at an opportunity at Plough uh-huh. at the time, uh, a company called Zymogenetics, and then Biogen. And Biogen was actually where I really wanted to go. But they were late in getting back to me. And I had already accepted a position at Zymo Genetics out in Seattle. Yeah. Um, and, um, and you know, and I'm glad I went there because I, I learned a lot about the beginnings of recombinant DNA work that was going on at, at, at Zymos at the time. Uh, but I also learned about blood coagulation at the time. You know, one of the founders of Zymogenetics Genetics was Earl Davey, mm-hmm. who um, is an amazing, you know, scientist. Um, as it relates to the blood coagulation cascade, he, he discovered most of the enzymes in the cascade. And Earl was a founder of of Zymogenetics, and so Zymos um, did a lot of work in clotting factors. They they had a program um, you know, on factor seven, uh, they had a program on you know factor nine, mm-hmm. factor eight. So really, a company pretty focused on on coagulation. And uh, I got interested when I went there in finding thrombin inhibitors. Based on the work that was uh, uh, being described in the literature around hirudin in the leech, and hirudin is a leech saliva protein. That's how the leech is able to suck blood yeah, without clotting. Without yeah, exactly. Um, and that became a line of research that I got engaged with when I was at Zymogenetics.
0: And so, but I mean, what were the what were you thinking? The applications were then?
1: Well, it was an anticoagulant. I mean, yeah. So, so the opportunity was, you know, if you could find a better, um, ideally more effective, safer anticoagulant compared to heparin. You know, do you have an opportunity for a new, you know, therapeutic? Yeah,
0: uh, right. So I think this sort of um, rolls into your work at Biogen too, it did. right? Yeah, it did
1: ultimately because I I left Zymos after a year and and you know for mostly personal reasons um, and then went to Biogen. So but, and, so
0: you're 25 or 26 then? Uh,
1: 20. I think 25.
0: 25. Thought, yeah. So you go to Seattle, which yes. I don't. You didn't know anyone there. I, I don't know. No. You totally on your own. Go to this company out Well, there. I was married. Oh, you're married. Th- I oh, was okay. married, right?
1: Okay. And I had uh, and my my son, who's now 31, was born in Seattle.
0: Oh, okay, okay. all right.
1: And so my ex wife and I came back to Boston, okay, or came to Boston uh, to Beijing. Okay, all right. In, so in, in, specifically in 87.
0: Right. So it, it yeah. does maybe maybe Seattle was not working for you and the family. It sounds yeah, like. Yeah, I
1: mean, it, it was it was mostly my ex wife who didn't like it out there, and you know I was a good husband and said, okay, we'll look elsewhere. And so we looked. We looked at uh, at opportunities in Biogen at, in Boston, and yeah. I and I actually contacted the people that are, that um, I had applied to a year for. before, right? Yeah, yeah. And and talked to specifically Joe Rosa, who was one of the scientists at Biogen, and said, Joe, you know, we're not, you know, Seattle's not working out for the family. We're thinking about going to Boston. You know, is that opportunity still available at Biogen? And Joe said, Absolutely, come on out. That's amazing. And uh, I joined Biogen in in, uh, in April of 1987. And stay there a decade.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, just uh, I, I don't know where your wife's, your ex-wife, was from, but but um, was it really the weather? Was it just like the yeah, city itself it was, wasn't it, a for fit her,
1: for her? In, and I, I get this. I mean, the weather was it's, was yeah, yeah. It rains all the time. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I think it was also for her the fact that it was far away from her family as well. So anyway, we, and you have we a moved, young,
0: ch- you had a young child, uh, and we had a young child. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: So we moved. We moved to Boston. At that point in time. All right. So, like, 87, I think 87.
0: you said you're in Boston. This is the company you'd been eyeing up before, yeah. and now you're there.
1: Very interested in the company and, and had had seen the science from the company before, loved what I saw, and was excited to go to it.
0: And you're hired as what? As a researcher? As a senior scientist. Senior scientist. Okay. Exactly. And you said, I've been doing this work on anticoagulants. I want to yeah. continue that here. Yeah. Exactly. They had no program in that
1: area. Well, they, the program that they – they didn't have a program in that area. I mean, I when I joined Biogen, I got involved in, in – Sort of three programs at the time. One was on 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 GMCSF, uh-huh. where you know Biogen had an effort yeah. on GMCSF. The second one was on lipocortin, which was this very interesting protein that was a phospholipase inhibitor, and and that harkened back to my PhD research because I, I, my the enzymes I was working on during my PhD thesis work were phospholipases, and so lipocortin as an endogenous um, inhibitor of phospholipases turned out to be a very interesting prospect as a novel anti-inflammatory and then in my spare time uh, well then the third program was CD4 soluble CD4 for HIV Um, and so I got involved in all three programs as essentially the protein chemist in those programs helping purify recombinant protein and do structure function work on those recombinant proteins and in the side Biogen had this great policy of 20 percent time where they encourage scientists to you know take you know as much as 20 percent of their time to basically explore other ideas. Right? Daily. Daily, yeah. And now, the way it really worked at the end of the day is that scientists would, you know, stay later yeah, at night right. or come right. in on a Saturday or Sunday and do the extra work. But Biogen basically basically sanctioned that type of work within the company, um, which is a great idea. And I used my 20% time to basically continue some of the thinking I had back at Zomogenetics around thrombin inhibitors. Um, and specifically, you know, hiridin. But but at Biogen, my thoughts went from making a recombinant hiridin, which is what I was thinking about at Zomagenetics, to making a peptide fragment of hiridin as a non-protein um, thrombin inhibitor, which yeah. I thought would be important because the big concern about hiridin was whether or not it would be immunogenic in humans. And in fact, it did turn out to be immunogenic in humans. And so we beg- we, I began a process in my 20% time of basically fragmenting hirudin into different um different parts to ultimately come up with a uh, 20 amino acid peptide inhibitor called which we called hiralog at the time which later adopted a name called bivalirudin yeah. and then later ultimately became commercialized by uh, by the medicines company,
0: right? So it, I think so. You brought that forth. I did,
1: and you said, "Hey, I've
0: got this thing. I think yeah. this." Might, and and Biogen said, "Okay, let's let's uh, pursue it."
1: Yeah, let's do it. And so what was fun about that experience is um, Biogen had a scientific advisory board that that was really quite interesting. I bet so. Yeah. So you know, Phil Sharp, yeah. You know, Wally Gilbert, Charles Weissman, you know, uh, Jeremy Knowles were all members of the scientific advisory board, and I presented. I'll never forget presenting as a scientist. Um, the story around Herolog. And it was a very interesting inhibitor because it was a bivalent inhibitor and the structure function aspect of it was pretty cool. Uh-huh. Um, and um, presented to the Scientific Advisory Board. And I'll never forget receiving a standing ovation from, really? the, from the SAP, which, you know, was, like, pretty cool. Um, and, um, <laughs> Just that,
0: off your cap? I mean, what do you do in there? Well,
1: they... <laughs> I mean, it's like, wow, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, obviously it was very, uh, it was great to see that recognition. And we ultimately then drove Um, that molecule into phase one and then uh, phase two and phase three studies over the course of the years. And uh, it was really exciting. It was my, it was actually my introduction to drug development. So
0: I, as the inventor,
1: I stuck with the program. I was a program champion. And I was the person who drove the program forward and, you know, fought for the program's funding and and support from the company. And I got that uh, successfully. And then I was the, the project leader. For the program, and so I was the leader of a multidisciplinary team of people that include included people from regulatory, uh-huh. manufacturing, um, from clinical, uh, from commercial. That basically would meet on a weekly basis and focus on how do you develop this medicine, how do you take it forward, what what are the clinical indications you want to pursue, you know, what are the what are the regulatory steps that you want to follow, uh-huh. and so we got involved in taking um, taking Herolog from. IDEA, light bulb, all the way through phase three clinical trials.
0: So what, but why, what, uh, it was divested? What happened? Yeah.
1: So what happened is the, the study, the phase three studies that were done, showed that Herolog was um, incredibly uh, safer than heparin. These were comparative studies versus heparin in, uh-huh. in angioplasty. Yeah. Um, and these were multi-thousand patient studies, right? So very large studies. The, the efficacy overall was similar to what heparin achieves. Achieved but and, the, and a little safer, but a lot safer. A lot safer. A lot safer. So, for example, the bleeding rates that were seen in patients were about a third of what was seen with with uh, with heparin, um, and then in a subpopulation of patients that was prospectively defined in the study, the drug was more effective than heparin, right? And so that that provided the foundation to believe that the drug could ultimately be approved on on that study, and uh, but Biogen at the time also had. Uh, beta interferon in multiple sclerosis uh-huh. as another program and Jim Vincent the CEO of Biogen at the time was was an amazing um, strategic thinker and amazing leader and Jim rightfully for Biogen said look let's focus on Avonex let's go all hands on deck as a company for what became Avonex beta interferon in-
0: which made the company really which really made yeah. the
1: company and let's find a partner for Herolock you know he, he felt that it was better in a larger company's hand so we Formally on on I'll never forget it on Halloween of of 1994 which of course is not a great day to you know announce negative trial results yeah. right yeah. Uh, because you can just imagine the headlines that come <laughs> right <up the> <laughs> right day, you know <laughs> right. biogen's Hollywood's Holly, Halloween scare yeah, you know, yeah. And so, the death uh, of biogen or something. yeah yeah, yeah right um, but that was the day that we announced that we were going to divest the asset. And we earnestly were looking to find a partner for it, but the outside world, of course, immediately said, "Well, you're yeah. getting rid of it. You what's don't wrong. want it. It's not. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. wrong with it, et cetera, et cetera." But, so, but also,
0: but, let me ask this: was yeah. heparin was generic by then? Yeah. So you, the cost was you're going to have to battle and, that, and,
1: and that was a big issue, right? Uh. In, in in our in our overall calculation around the value proposition, you know, what what was going to be the value proposition if it wasn't dramatically more yeah, effective, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, and safer? Now it turned out, it turned out in that subpopulation of patients that were at higher risk. It turned out to be dramatically more effective, right? And so we we believed at the time, and we ultimately proved out to be, that that Herolog could be a very effective anticoagulant for patients. And it, ultimately, we did find a partner, it was a medicines company, yeah. and were actually founded for the purpose of finding these type of assets and commercializing them. And um, the story around that is is not, not so bad, I mean, no. Herolog became Angiomax, Angiomax um, for many, many years was the number one anticoagulant used in angioplasty procedures. It's been used in millions of people. For, was it broadly.
0: approved for that subpopulation? It was
1: approved uh, as an in, as an anticoagulant for interventional cardiology applications. Okay. And so it was used, of course physicians would use it more broadly, Yeah. but as it but that relates was a to the label, yeah. it was really in, in, the, in the setting of angioplasty. So that's some validation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and it got used in millions of people and um, other studies over time show that it actually turned out to be more effective than heparin even in a larger populations and in fact it was a life-saving medicine let me Over
0: so time. let me ask you this because you said you're okay now you're running this program for this this was your molecule you're yeah. you're running this and um, I think that seems key right I mean you got a lot of experience that is going to be key later on in in your life
1: yeah I learned drug development yeah so Biogen yeah. you know I always I always describe my decade at Biogen as being the best school I could ever have gone to to learn about drug discovery and drug development in a biotech environment because I I had to do literally all of that, right? Yeah. And then ultimately, I transitioned to Biogen onto uh, the business side, so I learned business development there, too. So for me, in my career, you know, Biogen was an amazing, amazing experience, and I, I love the company to this day. I mean, it's really a company oh, sure, I yeah. have high regard for. And, um, but, you know, I did drug discovery there, I did drug development there, and then I transitioned to the business side.
0: So what was that about? Did you, you wanted to... Well, a-
1: okay, so like after, after Biogen decided that they were going to stop you know, log, yeah. and I was a project leader, yeah. uh, that was my day job. Right. And oh. so um the, the CEO, Jim Vincent at the time, called me into his office and said, John, you know, I, I you know you've done drug discovery, you've done drug development. I think the next thing for you is to do business development. And I, I you know, we had this do you conversation. Resist? Oh my God, I, I had I Brady, I had <laughs> I had no interest to do this. I, I, uh. I you know at the time, I have to say at the time, you know, business development as a as a discipline was not what I'd call the most admired discipline within yeah. the company. It was sort of like, you know, the failed scientists yeah. that would get shunted into that type of role and they would sort of, you know, go off and try to find opportunities and this, not and and the other. So it wasn't a very you know, and, glamorous And now someone's
0: role. saying that's you, frankly. Well,
1: then somebody's saying that that's what I want you to do. And yeah, yeah. So we had three meetings over the course of a month where he would be encouraging me to go into that direction. and. At the third meeting, it finally dawned on me that this was not an option. That it was either you do business development or you go, or your
0: job's gone. And yeah, job's gone.
1: Yeah. and so I decided. You know, at, at that point, I had divorced and I had to raise. I had alimony payments and child support, and I was not in a position to be able to say <laughs> be I'm, without I'm gonna, a job, right? I'm, I'm going to be without a job, right? So I said, "Look, I'll do it." And I made the transition. And, I, and to this day, I mean, I really owe it to Jim because it, you know he he believed in me. He believed that I could be effective in that, in that world. And although when I made the transition, I didn't like it at first, over time, within a few months of doing it, I really enjoyed it. Um, I got the opportunity of meeting so many people in the industry. Um, my, my, my specific role was to not only find a partner for Andrew Max, which yeah. I was really committed to because it was my baby, but it was also to basically look at opportunities to in-license at Biogen, and then also to, to run portfolio management. At Biogen, and um, I learned a lot. You know, it, it was a great experience. We negotiated deals. We we in licensed some interesting products uh, at Biogen. Um, you know, some of which panned out, some of which didn't. Um, you know, we learned uh, a lot about other opportunities that were out there. I personally learned a lot about what it takes to do business development, and that was a skill set that um, I'm glad I yeah you glad used I it for sure. Yeah, oh, absolutely.
0: Uh, so. At- to touch on your divorce, was your child's... Your son was still yeah, son, in the neighborhood? Yeah, absolutely, whatever, yeah. and, and I had a daughter as well. Oh, the oh with the yeah, same... Okay, yeah, yeah, the same so two kids. Month.
1: Yeah, two kids, and and uh, who are now 31 and 29, yep. um, and they're um, both terrific kids. Um, one's going to get married this year. Oh, born. wow. Yeah, which is great. And then I've got two... I got remarried, um, and I've got two younger kids, one 14-year-old and one 10-year-old.
0: Oh, you're doing it again.
1: Yeah. Uh, you bet. You bet. Well, uh, I wasn't. that wasn't the plan. Of course, it wasn't a plan, and you know, and so I, I, had this you know decade long you know period in between you know two two marriages, yeah, uh, and I met this amazing uh, woman who I you knew couldn't help. I had to be with for yeah. the rest of my life, and she wanted to have kids, and I'm like, okay. That's-
2: hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me what inspires your music.
1: Part of the deal, I'll do it, and uh, I'm glad I did it. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh, but so, let me ask this
0: because I'm I'm curious if it has to do with the job. Was it, it sounds like you were working really hard at biogen. Yeah, did it that was. contribute to the divorce at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh,
1: no. I mean, the hard work and and well, I mean, look, I I, I love the work I was doing too. Yeah, right. And uh, and so that did contribute to it, yeah. and and you know, but that is what it is. I mean, I think obviously you have to have a in a in a relationship, you have to have a, an understanding around. You know what's the work and life and how that balances the out. balance. Of course, yeah. right, right.
0: So that turned that's one of your three allowed divorces as a absolutely. Greek? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm
1: I'm good. I'm <laughs> I'm not do I'm not going for three. That's what I'm right, calling. right. Yeah. You're still fine with, exactly. the, with the Lord. Totally.
0: Um, okay, so uh, at some point, I don't really know when you leave uh, Biogen for a Millennium. I think yeah. I think like Mark Mark Levin recruits you or something. Ninety-seven.
1: Yeah, Mark Levin. Uh, Mark Levin, who is such an amazing leader. Um, I got to know Mark, uh, just just a bit of the story on that, you know, b- between 94 and 97, um, you know, as I was transitioning from science to and drug development to business development, um, you know, I started meeting a lot more people that were in the business world, in the venture world. And I got the, I had the wonderful opportunity during that period of time to meet somebody by the name of Bill Hellman, who was, who was the venture capitalist at Greylock uh-huh. Ventures. And, and Bill is an amazing um, person um, who boy, I mean, he, he he's just been so successful as a venture capitalist and not just in biotech, but but also in high tech. And uh, I really enjoyed getting together with Bill Hellman. And, you know, we, we'd have a Diet Coke together and go grab a lunch, and it was always just, fun. Just
0: talk about the industry. Just talk yeah. about the
1: industry and where things were going. And Bill was very actively trying, of course, to recruit me into some of his opportunities. But I, 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 I couldn't leave Biogen, at the bare minimum, I couldn't leave Biogen until I licensed Andrew Max out. Because yeah. I realized that if I didn't find a partner for Herolog that ultimately it would die.
0: No one else would do no, it. No, no one, one else, else would do it. Yeah, so yeah. I had to do
1: that and I, and I finally got that done in 96. Right? So then by the time you know that was done I was still having conversations with Mark Levin and, and also at the time as you know the genomic effort was really ramping up. up yeah, and yeah. I thought that that was an incredibly powerful part of the future of medicine. And unfortunately BiGEN did not go there. Um, Biogen resisted genomics and I think in hindsight that was a big strategic mistake because yeah. you know, I can tell you Wally Gilbert was 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 trying to encourage Biogen in the 80s to get involved with genomics and I think probably appropriately in the 80s we decided to defer that. Um, but you know, what was going on at, at Millennium and Human Genome Sciences and, and Myriad yeah. and a lot of Sequana, a lot of other companies at the time was so exciting. And I felt that if I wanted to be at the frontiers of medicine, that I needed to be part of the genomics revolution. And so I, you know, wholeheartedly um, uh, decided that it was time to leave Biogen. 10 years is a good yeah, stay in yeah. someplace. Yeah. And uh, I went to Millennium. And I went there to basically run a business at Millennium focused on biologics. So the way at the time Millennium was organized was they had their sort of core platform as a company, and then they sort of built subsidiary companies around different types of therapeutic modalities, and one of the important therapeutic modalities was biologics. Antibodies were common to proteins, and uh, Millennium at the time was engaged in doing a broad-based cDNA cloning and sequencing effort um, for the purposes of finding novel uh, protein therapeutics uh-huh. or targets for antibodies, and um, that was an exciting Proposition. So I went in. There was a small team of of scientists at the time at at Millennium, about six seven scientists, as I recall, and we built it up to a company within Millennium of around 150 employees, and we had a a large partnership with Eli Lilly at the time, and um, you know we were very engaged in basically taking genomic activities and trying to find novel. Protein therapeutics. But were you running that division? I was. Oh, so they hired yeah. you to run that division. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I was the general manager of, of that division. Ran it. Um, you know, we had we had uh, you know we, we were separately incorporated, so we were truly a separate company, eighty percent owned by Millennium, uh-huh. and then twenty percent owned by by Eli Lilly, and then of course employees had a, a share of common stock.
0: In oh, the okay. Yeah. So this this one fifty or so is larger than the group you're running at Biogen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. you're now you're running an even larger group, and Correct. you're sort of you know i can see you can see the trajectory at some point it's like okay yeah. pretty soon you're going to be able to run your own company n- n- no problem especially yeah. a startup which
1: yeah you know yeah. then happened it, it did you know and and uh but you know i was i loved i loved my time at millennium it, you know so it started, so between 97 and 99 i i ran millennium biotherapeutics we built it up to 150 employees we had partnerships that we did uh we were beginning to advance programs to the clinic yeah. but then in 1999 um you know mark um, Mark really began to think about how to build um, Millennium toward a product-based company. Um, and, and I'll never forget the board meeting that we had where, um, where you know, Mark was explaining to the board that if we just stayed as a genomics company, that it would be 5, 10, maybe 15 years until we had our first product in the market. Or, you know, and, and, and the board was like, well, that's okay. And Mark was like, "Well, no, that's yeah, not okay." The shareholders did not agree, right? Not okay. yeah, and yeah. we were sporting a valuation at that time at, at Millennium, and I can't re- recall the exact number, but it might have been you know $10, 15 billion dollars yeah. at that point in time. So the 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 you know Mark had the vision to realize that staying at that value was impossible as a company that had no products in the in, in on the market, let yeah. alone on the, in the clinic yeah. at the time. And so we had to do something to fast forward to be a more integrated product-based company. And that's where we began in, in late 99, an earnest effort to find M&A opportunities um, to essentially transform Millennium from a technology company into a product company. And Mark asked me to lead that effort. Oh. So I, I ultimately transitioned you know, my day job, if you will, as a general manager and headed up M&A at, at Millennium and uh, led the acquisition of Leucocyte, which brought Velcade to Millennium, and uh, which, by the way, when we did the acquisition of, of, of Leucocyte, we valued Velcade at zero. Uh, it had just gone into the clinic. Uh, we were worried about the mechanism of action being overly toxic. Um, and we really did the acquisition because of the alpha-4 beta-7 antibody program uh-huh. that has now finally gotten to the market. And is a really great drug for IBD and. That's Crocs. funny. I didn't know that yeah, about the zero. Yeah. No, uh, and 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 you know this is just how M and A sometimes materializes. The yeah. gems are things that you don't really know. Yeah. I mean, Intivio, which is what it's now called, which is the alpha four beta seven antibody, is also a great product, but it happened much later. Later, Delcay, yeah. of course, was the real gem.
0: Yeah, right. And you know, it's, I remember I remember all this happening. Of course, this 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 concept that Millennium was a, just a collection of great minds and doing great work, but. Yeah. But uh, what, what was going to come of that? We yeah. didn't – no one knew what to do with all this – you wouldn't even call it sequencing then, but this digging into the genome, what's yeah. going to happen, and, and then, you know, Millennium finally gets a product which they acquired. Yeah. But it brought revenue in and sort of set them on a path of stability for, you know, for years. So. Oh,
1: absolutely. And, and ultimately, it drove, it drove the value that led to the acquisition, acquisition yeah. of, of, of Millennium. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's interesting, you know, Brady. I mean, I think, obviously, the genomics revolution was – was I, I think, obviously, has a lasting – without a doubt, has had a lasting effect on medicine. But in the early days, in those days, we we believed that 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 we would find um, therapeutic opportunities more rapidly, quickly, yeah. And 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 the belief was that we can go from structure to function very quickly. And of course, we all know that most of science is done from in a in a much more you know uh, in, in, in deductive manner, where you go from function and an observation of something to a structure ultimately. Yeah. And and so that was probably the biggest uh, disconnect between. The genomics activities. Now, we obviously tried to make that happen with functional genomics, but it's too artificial. You know, you're you're trying to force function into something, and and the likelihood that you'll actually discover the right function is is actually Smaller. quite low. Yeah. it's quite low.
0: Yeah. All right. So then this this I mean, it's funny when you look back and think, okay, so then what's next? Well, yeah, you so, get recruited to to ha- head L Nylum. Yeah. Right? So Phil so, Sharp
1: recruited you. Yeah. So in 2002, uh, actually, let's take take a step back. In 2001. I get a phone call from Phil Sharp, who, of course, I knew from behind. Yeah, yeah, right. And he, you know, gave me, he was one of the people that gave me a standing ovation when I yeah. discovered HeroLock. So, yeah. and Phil and I would stay in touch and 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 have a lot of respect for him. And um, you know, he contacted me in 2001 and said, you know, John, you know, we have uh, we and some of my collaborators have made a very important discovery, and we'd like to come over and talk to you at Millennium about this discovery. And um, he came over with Tom Tushel, Phil Zamor, Dave Bartel, Oh man. Um, and said, and they presented to us the the early work that at that point had not yet been published by Tom Tushel, showing that small double-stranded RNA molecules can mediate RNA interference in mammalian cells. And of course, as you know, Brady, before that discovery, you know, RNAi was largely believed to be a, a plant and, you know, lower organism type of a pathway. Mm-hmm. People felt that, you know, you know... the the body evolved to have interferon mechanisms to get rid of viruses, and you didn't need RNAi in mammalian systems. And Tom Tushel's work really sort of changed that whole yeah. story. Yeah. And so he came over with his colleagues and presented the data, and um, we were blown away because, because at Millennium we were engaged in, in trying to do post-genomic research, and you know we were trying to find tools that could allow us to rapidly knock down targets so that we can understand their biological function, yeah. and nothing like RNAi existed at that point in time. I mean, we were doing we were doing um, somatic cell mutations with incredibly low throughput right. to try to find um, you know structure function relationships of of you know novel proteins, and so the fact that RNAi emerged at that point in time was a was a boon boom for the whole um, academic em- endeavor around functional genomics, and we at Millennium being cogniscenti, in that in that in that science and that challenge, obviously we're very excited about it. So I got back to Phil. I was at that point in time I was on the business side. I got back to Phil. I said, Bill, Phil, um, you know we'd love to get RNAI exclusively at Millennium and integrate it within our platform, and then we we'll we'll invest with you to start a, a new company focused on therapeutic applications of RNAI, and we'll help fund it, but we don't want to own it. We'll yeah. just be contributors of, yeah. of capital. And Phil Phil it over and decided and i think i think appropriately that the basic technology of rnai should be made available broadly from a research perspective as a tool uh, as a tool yeah and and so he and the powers that be and mit all decided look let's not let's not do that uh and then you know six months later or so they decided instead to focus on a exclusive opportunity in therapeutics right so you know phil and i you know, stop talking about that at this point because we, we took a license. Yeah. yeah, we we covered it. Uh, but then over the summer of 2002, Phil called up and, and said, look, we're starting this company. Um, would love to have you come in and talk to the other people that are there. Um, I knew some of the venture capitalists that were involved, you know, in particular Peter Barrett and Jean-Francois Formella at, yeah. at Atlas were yeah. close friends of mine and, you know, knew them well, and they also got involved in helping recruit me. And then Christoph Westfall, who was at Polaris, um, who was the acting CEO at the time at, at, at El Nylum also got involved and, and recruited me too. He was the the seed CEO. Yeah. yeah they put the, the money he in, was a he venture was a, guy right, who basically right. you know, took care of it while they found a CEO. And so they recruited me finally to come in. And I, I'll never forget uh, I was just getting remarried at the time. I mean, my wife and I were dating at the time. But uh-huh. We were engaged. And, you knew it was coming. Uh, yeah. We, we, yeah. Well, we, I proposed and yeah. she said yes. Yeah. And so we were going to get married. And and uh, I actually got my offer letter to start uh, at El Nilem on our honeymoon. <laughs> um, and she, she remind me of that from time to time. But, but um, the long and short of it is I was in parallel changing my life, not only personally yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with, a, with, a, with a new wife and ultimately new family, but also with a new role.
0: How did you, just quickly, how did you find How did you meet your wife? Uh, at a bar. Seriously?
1: At a I've, Seriously. I've, so help me guys. Is she a scientist? Uh, no, no. Ah, she's I not just a figured. scientist. She's a restaurant owner. Ah. And so so I was at a bar with a buddy who is a scientist. Yeah. And we were having drinks and, and, you know, I ran into her and met her and, you know, and we hit it off and she gave me her phone number. It was actually the real phone number. Um, <laughs> right. And, and <laughs> I called her up and, uh, you know, that's it just goes from there. Yeah.
0: I was, I was sort of... I just have this idea that the bars around Kendall Square are just lousy with scientists constantly meeting each other. and, and they are. Uh, there but are. But you, you find yourself not a scientist no, there. Yeah. exactly. No. Okay. Exactly. A restaurant
1: owner, yeah. which is just as good. Yeah,
0: of course. My yeah. God, no. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so that's happening. You're now changing your two big drivers in your life, yeah. your personal life and Lo- your business.
1: Personal life and business. And, and you know, join El Nilem in, in December of, of 2002. Uh, again, just a few handful of employees that were in the company at the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's amazing. What's really amazing about that is at the beginning, you know, the vision for the company from day one was to advance RNA therapeutics as a whole new class of medicines. Yeah. And, um, what's really remarkable 15, over 15 years later is that we, we stuck on that mission. We never changed course. And here we are today, you know, at the cusp of introducing our first. Yeah. RNAi yep. therapeutic yep. to the market.
0: Uh, so t- two things or maybe three things, uh, when we look back at your life, you're, you're doing your research, and you you start to get um, interested in the idea that you're doing things that no one ever has done before. That's what research is, you know, and, and that was intriguing to you. Um, you moved to Millennium because they're on the forefront of this genomic revolution. You want to be part of it. Now, RNAI is a brand new area of medicine that must have been a big draw to you. Oh, right? huge!
1: I mean, you know, what 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 was amazing at the time, and and you know, I spent a lot of time with Mark Levin, who who you know who obviously is such a wonderful person on top of a great leader, and Mark was really just so supportive of me and making the decision. Obviously, he wanted me to stay at Millennium, or at least he says that. Yeah, um, I think he did. Yeah, but but he he was also so supportive of my decision to ultimately go run El Nihilum, and um, and what really clinched it for me, Brady, was the fact that I I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I'd drive to work. And I'd be driving in the morning, and I'd be going to work, and you would think about things that you're going to do that day, yeah. and the other, and instead of thinking about things I was going to be doing at Millennium that day, I started thinking about, oh, there's this application of RNAI, there's this application of RNAI, and so, after doing that for a few weeks, and I was doing a lot of sort of reading and learning a little bit about the science, it, it just became clear to me that I had the bug. I really, yeah. I really wanted to do this. I really wanted to pursue it, and in and the opportunity to get involved, you know, in in, in leading a company focused on a whole new drug class is something which doesn't happen very often in no. your life. Yeah. And, and I, I just could not pass it up. It's really, sort of, it's sort of
0: not. like, um, you know, I, if you'd say to millennium, I think you'd had a nice life, but it's sort yeah. it's like, I'm going to regret not gambling on this. It's that, yeah. it's that interesting to you. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and I knew it was going to be hard. I mean, I, I, I wasn't a big, at the time, I wasn't a big believer in, Ligand nucleotide therapeutics, and because of the delivery challenge, yeah, yep. you know, I'd seen a lot of the antisense work sort of falter yeah. over the years, and so I had to sort of overcome an endogenous skepticism about the field and about where it can go to basically realize that well, if we could, given the potency and given the endogenous mechanism and the and the and the catalytic mechanism, um, that maybe that was going to be enough to tip it over, so that if we can get sufficient delivery. Of these oligos into cells, then we can do dramatic things from a from a you know therapeutics application perspective.
0: All right, well, because you just mentioned skepticism, now, let's talk about this. Yeah. and so you know I'm covering this industry, and suddenly it's this new area that people think going to be a big boon to uh, to medicine. It's RNAi. Nalum comes out as a forefront, and yeah. a pioneer in this area. Um, you form big deals. You formed deals with Roche. You had yeah. a deal with Novartis. Uh, I remember Cerna was a competing company. Yeah. Merck bought them. Yeah, right. And then around 2007 or eight, like all that came undone. There was a yeah. massive amount of skepticism that it was ever going to work. Yeah, absolutely. Merck closed down their Cerna lab. The collaboration with Roche ended, or yeah. I don't it, remember. Well, they
1: they so so your 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 you're, you're, your theme is right. Your sequencing's a little off. Yeah. So the, basically, the way it worked is that um, uh, so uh, Alnylam did a deal with Novartis in 2005. Yeah. Okay. Roche uh, Cerna got bought by Merck in 2006. Uh huh. Roche and Alnylam did a, their major partnership in 2007. Huge bet by yeah. by by Roche. They put 300 over 300 million dollars up front yeah. into Alnylam. Right, huge deal, um, biggest at the time. Um, and then and then Takeda did a large deal also with Alnylam in 2008. Okay, so just incredible
0: momentum, momentum, right? Right? Yeah.
1: right? And this is all during the period of time in which there was you know frankly unbridled enthusiasm around RNAi where, I think for good reasons, right, it's all driven by the science of yeah. work and go, but delivery had not been solved yet, right? And delivery was still on the come, if you will. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it what happened in 2010 was that Novar, Roche exited the field. So Roche, at that time, decided they would no longer invest in RNA interference, after being in it for only three years, right? So they sort of toe dipped, and they yeah. decided okay and, and and the real driver for roche 's exit in in that time was that they had revenue challenges and earnings challenges as a company they The champion who had done the deal, Lee Babbas, had left the company, so there was no longer somebody there to really advocate for it um, uh, their, their, in fact their their investment in R&EI became known internally at roche as lee 's folly at the time and then which is just funny, yeah. uh, psychology yeah. and these type of things. And then on top of it, you know, there were challenges to get delivery to work. So there were scientifically driven reasons, right? Yeah. But they had to make decisions around what to what to invest in and what not to invest in. And they basically got out of r and And then shortly after that, I think it was in 2011, is when Novartis exited the field. Yeah. Right? And Roche did an ex. I'm sorry, Merck didn't exit the field
2: mm-hmm. until
1: 2013, right? Which is in, when Peter Kim left Merck and Roger Perlmutter took over the leadership there. So... Your general theme was right, but the sequencing was a little bit off. Right. So, and we're, the reason people left, the reason pharma left at the time was they didn't have the patience around delivery. They yeah. wanted to see delivery happen quicker, and it was taking slower and longer, um, or slower and more money than they thought it would take.
0: So, I think I think the point is is this: from the so I'm not inside an RNA company. You are, right? Yeah. If you're watching from the outside, you go, "Well, if if Roche had just sort of packed it up, you go, well, okay, maybe they have something internally going on.' And if maybe Merck had just decided they didn't want to run that line. Okay. But when all three things happen, a, a big field, I mean, just skepticism was draped all over the field.
1: Absolutely. From the
0: outside. So, and, and you're the pioneer of it.
1: Yeah, huh? absolutely. So how and do you handle that? Yeah. So, so uh, it's, it's, it's a great question. And so basically another way to describe what you're describing, Brady, is that the whole world thought that we had died, yeah. but that we hadn't lied down yet. All right. And they were just watching us to see when we would lie down and right. finally go right. seven feet under. Right. And, um, and of course, that was driven by the fact that, you know, when you're looking at a field from the outside, you, you know, to some extent, follow the money, right? Where Where is the larger company going and where's the fervor, where's the excitement and everything else? So that's a totally legitimate, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, interpretation yeah. of what was going on. Uh, in fact, you know, to this day, I have, there's an Andy, an Andy Pollack. Andy Pollack, as you know, is a great yeah. reporter, New York Times, yeah. in the science field, uh, recently retired, and Andy Wrote this great article um, uh, around the fervor for RNA cools, and I have that article, you know, in my in <laughs> my article. It. I saved it but. because it, it's a constant reminder that um, you know science can go up and down and have its challenges, and there will be times in which people lose faith, right? And this has and happened
0: again and again and again and across so fields, many, so yeah. many
1: times. I mean, I mean, look, obviously, look at gene therapy now. Mm-hmm. Exactly, right? gene therapy, yeah. Yeah. of course, you know, was dead for a long time, unfortunately. And now, of course, it's come back so beautifully. Uh, Monoclonal antibodies had its moments of death where people thought, oh, it's going to be immunogenic and you'll never make drugs out of it, this and that the other. And, of course, now it's an amazing category of medicines. And so it it just speaks to the fact that, well, number one, large companies are never really a great barometer for innovation, right? Because they've got conservative approaches. They they have to portfolio manage. Uh, They don't have the staying power. a smaller company can have Mm -hmm. even though they've got a lot more capital yeah yeah. and the thing that they definitely don't have is the fear of mortality so the great thing about a biotech company the great thing about onylam is we were either going to make it work or we were going to die It was that binary yeah and you know that that is an interesting way to crystallize the mind around trying to figure it figure it out at the end
0: so it's, it's sort of like um you're thinking to yourself, but we, we understand this better than you do, and we have not lost
1: our faith in it. That's right.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's right.
1: Yeah. And we also had, I mean, look, we were not we were not delusional, right? So we were not just, you know... You
0: knew there was trouble. You knew we, there were hurdles we, we, we out we there. We knew there were
1: hurdles, yeah. but we knew there were things that we could do to get across them. And we also had data points along the way that gave us reason to believe and reason to be hopeful and reason to keep investing. And I can say this, you know, there's not a single time as a company at our at a board level, or within the management of the company. We have employees that have been in the company for well over 10 years, including myself, where we said, you know what, let's go do something different, okay? Let's go explore a different a different opportunity as a company. Now we did, you know, there was a period of time in which we said, okay, maybe r can be more than just therapeutics, and let's think about applications as, as a way to treat biologic processes or Let's think about applications in stem cell biology and so forth. And we did explore that a little bit, uh-huh. but it was never outside of RNAi. It was always, and the, and the core focus of the company was always on RNAi therapeutics. In, in ten years, where do you think L- nylon will be? I mean, look, we are we are aiming to build a top five biotech company, and um, I mean we're top fifteen right now. Yeah, and um, with a company that has a uh, significant commercial presence on a global basis, that is selling important breakthrough medicines, making a difference in patients' lives, that has a, a steady flow of, of innovative medicines that come out of its platform. And one of the wonderful things about about um, having a platform is you've got a sustainable research engine. You've yeah. got a sustainable flow of products. And you know we're positioned now, Brady, to put two to three new IND products into the clinic every year, novel products into the clinic every year. And starting in 2018, we're positioned now to have a commercial launch every year for the foreseeable future from this point on, and that's a type of pl- of profile that has been rarely achieved yeah. in in biotechnology, and it's the benefit of having a platform that has finally been optimized and perfected to get to this stage. Right? No, it took a lot to get there. Years. I mean, fifteen, years, sixteen years. Yeah, and let's not forget the money. I mean, yeah, we've yeah, invested yeah. about two and a half billion dollars to date since inception. And we've raised over four billion dollars as a company so just enormous amounts of capital enormous amounts of time you know absolutely near-death experiences that we had to get through and and get on the other side of
0: yeah just because i when when this when um i'm assuming that there was a lot of money tied up in that novartis collaboration roche too and i think you cut you had to cut your employee base down yeah
1: we had to do unfortunately we had to do two restructurings where where the first one we we had to drop a quarter of our employee base and Then, you know, unfortunately, we decided in 2012 that we needed to go deeper. So we did another cut at that point in time. In hindsight, that 2012 one, I I wish we didn't do, but we didn't have to do it. But the 2011 one, we did. Did, yeah. Um, Was it scientists, too? uh, It was. It was, yeah. And and look, I mean, part of it was also transitioning from a company that was reliant on alliances to build the company to one that was going to focus on its own products. And so there were people that were more focused on the alliance side of the world. That frankly were not part of the future of the company. That frankly was better for both sides to to, to bar companies. Yeah,
0: uh, l- let me ask you this: Do you l- looking back now? Do you think that um, you're a better business leader than you were a scientist?
1: I mean, I I, I think I'm first and foremost a scientist. I I, um, I um, love the science. I really do. I I when I when I when I enter the country through. From travel overseas, and they ask you what your occupation is. I say scientist. You don't say CEO. You say I scientist. I say scientist. Yeah. You know, and and I and I, I love science. I love science. And to this day, I read Nature. I read I read New England Journal. I I um so I love I love science. Um you know and love data that comes forward. You know when even from our research team when they come forward with data, or for our clinical team when they come forward with for data. So I love that. Um but I also love the business side of it, and um I've learned. I've learned over the years that this is an industry that's around the business of science and the science of business, and that to some extent, um, you know, to be a leader in this space, you have to be adept at both yeah. sides of it. And I've learned how to do that on the business side, uh, you know, well enough to ultimately be able to be a leader uh, of a company and to help make it successful. Uh, but I love I love the science side of it, and I, I think it's I think it's a you know there are great examples of science leaders in this industry that are the types of people I admire, you know, Art Levinson, mm-hmm. Lynch Lifer, Lenny Bell, um, you know, who who never stop being scientists and clinicians and still continue to be leaders, even of commercial stage companies. And and that's the type of person I want to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, obviously you're a scientist. That's not, I mean, the question isn't that, but like you're a scientist and, and you're in this top tier of scientists. But then maybe you took a, you went around the corner and you thought, I'm actually a good scientist, but well, I'm really good at this. I'm really good at running a company. I'm really good at, at leading these people toward the goal of science.
1: I think, I think, I think what I've I've been you know fortunate to to learn from people. I've been fortunate to have people that, in my career that have taught me that side of it. I mean, I mentioned Jim Vincent before. We uh-huh. talked about Mark Levin, but other people I've had the fortune of the great fortune of of working with and for Vicky Sato, Kevin Starr. I mean, these are all people that are amazing leaders. I mean. Not directly working for him, but somebody who I admire and was a very close friend and mentor was Henry Tremere. Yeah, um, and so I've had the benefit of learning from a lot of great leaders, and that that experience and that exposure um, I think has helped me do you know the best I can at Elmilo. We
0: I had Tremere in here. That was the first one we did. It was a uh, he's a great guy. I really like
1: talking to Amazing him. Amazing guy.
0: Um, let me ask you this. It might be my last question, but um, you've touched. You've worked in some of the. Historically, you know, um, these flagship companies in the Boston area—Biogen, Millennium. Now, Alnylam, do you think Alnylam is your life's work?
1: Well, I, 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 I think it's going to be an amazing story going forward. I, and I, and I think it is. It is certainly now the the piece of contribution to medicine and to and to science that I'm most proud of, um, because I think it it depicts such a um, wonderful effort by a group of people to do something that was so pioneering, yeah, and 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 you know, and potentially so transformative for patients. I mean, obviously, Andrew Mack's made a difference in patients' lives, but the type of results that we're seeing, um, you know, from RNAi therapeutics are really amazing. And I, I think you know, I'll tell you a story, Brady. You know, when we first saw the Apollo results, Apollo was our phase three trial with Petit Saran, which is um, the medicine that we've now submitted to the FDA for review—I mean, the data are amazing. I, I have—I've I, I, been involved, you know, either with my Angibax experience, but other experiences too, and in, in drugs that get reviewed and 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 go through phase three trials uh-huh. and so forth. And many of them are really good drugs, um, but I've never been involved in a medicine that was as transformative in terms of the data um, that came out of it as Patisiran, and that's been true with our head of R and D, Akshay Vishnu, and our our President Barry Green uh, the three of us who've been together for over ten years uh, building alnylam and it it is a it is a remarkable feeling for all of us that um, we're bringing these type of medicines forward that are really transformative for patients and these are the types of medicines that we couldn't ever create with you know past modalities like small molecules and and biologics and so being a pioneer uh, for a whole new approach like that and being able to to deliver that type of impact for patients is is a, is a gem of a uh, life opportunity yeah
0: <laughs> um that's it thanks I appreciate you coming in thanks Brady boom there it is that is your first rounders podcast with John Marigonori. John thank you for coming in to our studio uh, I, I know you had a lot to do that day and I appreciate you fitting me in I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation I say that every time I do one of these but guess what I always do enjoy them so I'm going to keep saying it um What else? If you go to the homepage of Nature Biotechnology, you will find a link to our podcast page. In the archives, you will find podcasts with uh, Jeremy Levin. He came in not long after the 2016 presidential election. We talked a lot about politics. That was a good one. Uh, Susan Wyndham Bannister, one of my favorites, one of my favorite people I've ever talked to. Um, She's in there as well. Stephen Quake. Who else? Plenty more. All free on the archives. You can also find these on iTunes, you can find them off Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Thank you to the Midwest Quiet for providing the music for this podcast. They do not charge us, which I am very grateful for. Thank you to the Biotechnology, Enterprise, and Entrepreneurship Program at Johns Hopkins University for sponsoring this podcast. For more information, go to enterprise.jhu.edu. One more thanks to listeners. As always, thank you for continuing to listen